You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. I'm going to wrap up this marvelous, marvelous prayer this morning. We've been looking at it for a couple of weeks now. John chapter 17 is the greatest prayer recorded in Scripture. There's some 600, uh, right, right around 650 prayers recorded in Scripture. A lot of times we might, might think the Lord's Prayer. The disciples ask Jesus, teach us how to pray, and Jesus teaches them how to pray. We might think the Lord's Prayer is the greatest of all the prayers. But in all reality, that one pales in comparison. It's a great prayer. It's a great outline on how to pray. But it pales in comparison to the prayer that we have in John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is a marvelous prayer because of the person praying it. Jesus Christ is praying to God the Father in John 17. And it's marvelous because of the timing of the prayer. Jesus is praying this prayer just hours before he is crucified. It's not only marvelous because of who's praying it, the timing of who's praying it, it's marvelous because of the subject. And the subject is God's creation. And that's us, that's you and I. He is praying for you and I. How would you like to be invited into the prayer closet of Jesus Christ? What would it be like for you to for you to eavesdrop on Jesus' prayer and hear your name mentioned in a positive light, not in a bad light. I need to clarify that. You hear your name mentioned and you lean in a little bit more because you're like, what's he going to say about me? That's John chapter 17. We get to, we get to walk into the prayer closet of Jesus and listen as Jesus prays this marvelous, glorious prayer. John chapter 17. The overarching theme of my message I want you to see this morning is this. Jesus' prayer for you reveals Jesus' will for you. Let me say that again. Jesus' prayer for you reveals Jesus' will for you. You want to know what Jesus, you want to know what Jesus' will for your life is? You'll find it right here in John chapter 17, specifically in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 25. It starts in verse 1, but you can really see it in verse 20 through 25. God's will for your life is right here in our text. And we see it in his prayer as he begins to pray for you and I. Look, look at it with me, if you will. John chapter 17, verse 20. Again, Jesus is praying to God the Father. He's just hours away from crucifixion. And he says this, I pray not only for these, he's, that, that these is, that pronoun is specifically talking about the disciples, the 11 disciples, some other believers that, that, are, that have come to faith in Jesus, but primarily the eleven. I'm not only praying for these, but I'm also praying for those who believe in me through their word. Listen, that's you and I. You and I have come to faith in Jesus Christ. We believe that he has been sent by God through the message of the disciple. This has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And you and I are believers because of their message and because of the message they heard in Jesus Christ. 
Verse 21. So get it. He's praying for us. Listen. Listen to his request. May they, that's us, all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. Watch this. Here's the purpose. So that the world may believe you sent me. There's a top-line statement. In, in, in our text this morning, there are multiple top-line statements. One of the top-line statements is found right there in verse 20. I am praying for them, for all who believe through their message. Jesus is praying for us. That is a top-line statement. When I say top-line, what I mean is this. Is it looks like it's the most important thing. And we should be able to celebrate. We should be able to get excited about this top-line statement. But I want you to realize it is not the most important part of that section of this text. The most important part of the section of the text is found in verse 22, the bottom-line statement. Top-line is Jesus is praying for us. Why would Jesus be praying for us? Well, it says, so that the world may believe you sent me. You see, listen, if we get caught up on the top-line statements, we miss the most important. Listen, we should celebrate that, that Jesus Christ is praying for us. We should be able to jump up and down and, and do all kinds of uh, un, unbaptist-like things because Jesus is praying for us. Listen, I, I had a pastor that I served with for nine years. He and I, he and I strongly disagreed on, uh, in, in a loving way. We, we, we remained friends. We strongly uh, disagreed on whether or not it's okay to, to dance. I on, the, I on the side said it's okay to dance. He is on the side that it wasn't okay to dance. He passed away a couple of years ago, years ago. And I just, I just prayed and I was like, I told you so. I told you because I know he's doing it. He's praying around the throne of God right now. Celebrating. All that he ever taught, all that he ever ministered about, of Jesus Christ. Listen, if we, we should celebrate that Jesus Christ is praying, but oh, we should be praying for us, but we should celebrate even more the bottom line statement that he is praying for us so that we might become one, so that a lost world might become, become in, uh, believers in Jesus Christ. Oh, let me get back to the scripture. Verse, where are we at? 22, 23? Verse 22, yeah, here we go. I have given them the glory that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. Again, you see a top line statement that Jesus Christ has given us his glory. Bottom line, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. so that they may be completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Verse 24, Father, oh, catch the love that we see in this text. Father, I want those you have given to be with me. I'm sorry, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they will see my glory which you have given me because you have loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them, and will continue to make it known, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your holy word. God, help us to see the truths that are in this Scripture. 
God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would shape and mold our minds and our hearts to be true to these texts. Father, may we align ourselves with these wonderful texts. God, may we see, may we be emboldened in our walk with you by the words we find pages of Scripture this morning. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. What a, what a wonderful, wonderful prayer. If you haven't been here over the last couple of weeks, I, to, I just want to encourage you to go back and read all of Jesus' prayer. Jesus starts out by praying specifically for himself. We see there's also prayer for, for us in that as well. And then he prays for the disciples, those 11, and he prays for us in that as well. But here specifically, we see how he is praying for us. Listen, Jesus' prayer reveals his will for our life. Before I show you his will for our life, I want you to see, and I don't want us to miss, I don't want us to run past verse 20. Jesus prays for you. Don't miss this. Jesus is praying for you. Verse 20, I pray not only for these. Listen, Jesus is on death row. He's just hours away from his crucifixion. And in his last will and testament, your name is mentioned. He's praying for you. Of all the things that Jesus could be thinking about at this moment, he pauses and he is praying. He is lifting you up before God. And he says, I'm praying not only for these 11 disciples, but, but I also pray for those who believe in me through their message, through the Logos, the complete message for, for those who will believe through the gospel. Listen, to believe in Christ is to have confidence in his willingness to forgive sin. To believe in Christ is to rely upon him as our Lord, as our master. That's what it means to believe in Jesus Christ, to rely upon him as our Lord, our master, our, our, our boss. To believe in Jesus Christ is to trust him as our savior. To believe in Christ is to rest upon his faithful promise of his return. To believe. Let me ask you, there might be some here this morning. Have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ? Do you believe Jesus Christ, not only as a Savior, but do you believe him, him, in Him also as your Lord? Have you placed your confidence in His willingness to forgive, not just some of your sin, but His, his willingness to forgive all of your sin, your past, your present, and your future? That's what it is to believe in Jesus Christ. Listen, if you have not done that, if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, if you have not come to that place where you believe in Jesus Christ, listen, don't don't wait another day. Here in a moment, at the end of our service, I'll be here. Logan will be down in the front. We'll both be down in the front. We want to pray with you. We want to show you through Scripture what it means to give your life to Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, I'm praying for all of those who 
believe in me through their message, the message of the 11 disciples, what we have as the gospel. Listen, Jesus is praying for us. He's thinking about us before we were ever born. He made plans for us before we were ever conceived. We see it right here in the text. Listen, may this simple point alone humble us. May it increase our awe and reverence of who Jesus Christ is. He's praying for us. Listen, as encouraging it is to know that Jesus has prayed for us, and as Scripture bears out in Hebrews and Hebrews chapter 7 and in Romans chapter 8, He's continuing to pray for us. This is not the main point of the text. The main point of the text follows. Listen, Jesus' prayer reveals Jesus' will. Think about it. Jesus is praying and he's requesting something from God for us. I can only think of one time where God didn't answer Jesus' prayer. That was when he prayed in the garden. Father, take this cup from me. All the other prayers that Jesus ever prayed, God answered perfectly. Listen, he's praying for us. And he's praying for our will, or for his will for us. The first is this. His will for you and I is this. A oneness of spirit with other believers. Jesus' prayer reveals his will for us to have a oneness of spirit with other believers. Verse 21 has his prayer request. May they, believers, that's you and I, all be one. He, when Jesus is praying this, he's not just praying that I want these 11 disciples to get along. If you remember right in the, at the Lord's Supper, they're, they're not really all getting along. They're they're jockeying for a position, right? They're arguing. They're fighting a little bit. His prayer is not that we just simply get along. He is requesting that there be unity among believers. Not necessarily uniformity, but unity among believers. And he gives us the perfect example. He's given us his request, and he gives us the perfect example. Look, follow on verse 21. May they all be one. As you, Father, in me. Here's the example. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us. That is our example. The oneness of Jesus Christ and God the Father. Listen, Jesus' will for us is that there be a oneness of spirit, a gospel-centered unity with other believers. When Jesus was writing, when he's praying this prayer, he is, he is praying in the presence of Jews who will share the gospel with Gentiles. Listen, you could, you could not think of two groups who hated each other more than Jews and Gentiles. And Jesus is praying for a oneness of spirit, specifically at that time between Jews and Gentiles. But listen, he is praying for a oneness of spirit with us, no matter our color, 
Listen, Jesus didn't come to save skin color. Jesus came to save lost souls. So no matter the skin color, no matter the, uh, uh, the, the, the social economic status, uh, no matter their age, Jesus came to save. And he's called us to be a, have a oneness of spirit. May they all be one, he says, verse 21. May they all be one. Listen, unity on a sports team is crucial. Unity in a company is desired and at best results happen when there is unity. Unity in a family is the sweet spot, right? When, when everybody likes what's been cooked for dinner. <laughs> the sweet spot. When everybody uh, traveling down the road and everybody decides on the same restaurant. Unity, right? That's a sweet spot. Unity is what sparks and often maintains friendships. It is that, but it is much more than that that Jesus is talking about. The the unity that Jesus is requesting in his prayer among brothers and sisters in Christ is basic to our faith. But don't let the basic nature fool us. It is basic to our faith, yet this oneness in spirit is a powerfully essential evangelistic tool. Think about it. Think about as a body of believers, if there is fighting, if there is bickering, if there is, is harsh disagreement among us, and we try to share the gospel out in the community, who in the world would want to walk into that? No one. I remember as a, as a young boy, I, I used to go spend the night with, um, with some friends, a friend of mine, and, um, and his parents were rough, man. They used to fight like crazy. And I, I wasn't, my, my, the parent, I mean, I didn't have a perfect childhood at all, but parents didn't fight. I wasn't used to that. And, and um, the husband was, he drank a lot, and oftentimes, uh, he would come in really late, and him and his wife would get into an argument. And I can remember, I can remember, I, I didn't ever wanted to go to his house. I was always asking him, like, hey, you come and spend the night at my house. He's like, no, no, you come and spend. He had cooler toys, and he had cooler stuff. So that part was intriguing, but like what you had to go through to hang out there, you know. I remember one night, his dad came home, and his dad and his mom got into an argument. And she picked up an iron skillet. And she rears back. And he says to her, you couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. <laughs> Apparently right between his eyes was the broadside of a barn because she hit it. I remember thinking, man, I, I don't ever want to come back to this house. There is not unity here whatsoever. No one is drawn to that. People are repulsed by that. And here's Jesus. He's saying, man, amongst believers, there must be a unity. It is, a, it is an essential evangelistic tool that the brothers and sisters in Christ be unified. Listen, a, a, a unified church is one of the strongest evidences and a great living example of the truth of the gospel. Think about how fractured our world is today. Listen, it's, 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 for a long time, it hasn't been really popular to talk politics, right? But today, wow, 
We, we, we're in a fractured time. How countercultural is it when brothers and sisters in Christ might differ theologically, I'm sorry, might differ politically, but not destroy one another relationally? We live in a fractured day with race relations. How drawing to a lost world would it be to see brothers and sisters in Christ who have, who have differences, racially differences, but have a love for Christ, and that love for Christ unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Not divides us, but unites us. Do, do you see the importance of unity? Do you see how a fractured world that just seems to be getting more and more fractured as the days go by, how important it is for a body of believers to be unified. Not, not all the same, but unified. Listen, I could, I could feel the tension. Some of you aren't tech fans. <laughs> but that's not what unifies. Christ unifies us. We can celebrate our own sports teams, right? That's a simple analogy, but how drawing oneness is in our culture. Verse 21, may they all be one. That's Jesus' request for us. His request reveals his will for us. May they all be one as you, Father, in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us. Here's the purpose. Here's the bottom line. Here's the main point. So that the world may believe you sent me. Our oneness has the ability to evangelize, to draw in a lost world. So that the world may believe you sent me. Listen, the point of Christian unity is not that we simply get along declaring our purpose. Not simply that we get along declaring our mission, but that we get going doing our mission. Psalm 133. I want you to see the beauty of unity. Psalm 133. Follow along with me on the screen. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Notice how unity is refreshing, how harmony is refreshing. It's in verse 2. It is like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robe. Listen, unity and harmony is refreshing. It's not only refreshing, but it is also rewarding. It is rewarding. Look at verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has appointed the blessing life forevermore. Oh, unity is refreshing. Unity is rewarding. We see it here being in a, in a farming community, how we can go months without rain and how it can get very depressing and all of a sudden we get a little bit of rain. Even if a cloud begins to pop up, the excitement is in the air, right? It's refreshing. And then when, when God pours down rain on the land and we smell rain, oh, it is refreshing and it is rewarding. I'm telling you, unity is the same thing. Listen, Jesus' prayer not only reveals His will for our lives, but He is also praying for the success 
of his will in our lives. I love this. Jesus never calls us to anything without equipping us to be successful. His prayer reveals he's, he's equipping us. He wants, he wants us to have success in this. Look, 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 look at verse 22. He equips us for success. Verse 22. Praying to God the Father. I have given them, that's us. I have given them the glory you have given me. I'll explain that here in just a moment. I have given them the glory that you have given me so that they may be one. Now again, top line statement is this, that we could celebrate, that we could dance around the throne on, that God has given us his glory. God has saved us. He has justified us. And one day there's going to be a a glorification and we're going to be right just as we were right, as Adam and Eve was right before the fall. We can celebrate that. We can sing songs about that. Rejoice in that. But that is a top line statement. Verse 22. I've given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them. You are in me so that they may be completely one. So that they may be completely one. We see this bottom line statement. Jesus equips us for success. He has equipped us so that we can experience success and His will for us. He's not given us this command and then backed off. He's praying specifically for our success. I have given them, number one, my glory. The glory, God, that you gave me. But not only has He given us His glory, He's also given us his presence. You think of Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, the Great Commission. What does Jesus say? I, I'm sorry, first part of Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You close out that Great Commission with verse 20, and I am with you always. We have Jesus's glory, and we have Jesus's presence to be successful in the will that he has for us. So what does it mean that he has given us the glory that God gave him? That's an important part of the success. What does that mean specifically? Well, let me, let me back up just a little bit. At the moment of salvation, we are justified, meaning this, we are loved, received, and accepted by God as if we have never sinned. That's justified. At the moment of salvation, we are loved, accepted, received by God as if we had never sinned. What happens after that? What happens after justification? Well, also, Scripture will bear this out, at the moment of salvation, we are promised a future glorification. So at salvation, we receive justification. We're promised a future glorification. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Look on the screen with me. Listen to this text. Romans chapter 8. Paul Paul explains it this way. Those he called, that's you and I, believers in Christ, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Paul is speaking as if, it is present tense, but he is, he, is, he is speaking as if it's 
happened at this moment, but he knows it is something that is going to happen in the future. Listen, as, as we stand before God on judgment day, justified by the blood of Jesus, there's nothing that any of us could do to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But as we stand before God on judgment day, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, we stand before God in a state of ultimate perfection. That is glorification. We will stand before God in a state of ultimate perfection. Sin nature, gone. How many of you would like to say an amen to that? How many of you would like for your sin nature to be gone? Now listen, as we grow, we talked about this last week, that Jesus was praying for our safety. He was praying for our sanctification, that there would be less of us and more of him, that our, that our sin nature would be, be doing away, we'd be, we'd be getting rid of it more and more and more as we grow in Christ. But listen, at the moment we stand before God, it's gone. Perfect state. Just as Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden before the fall. That's glorification. Now listen to what Jesus is saying. Understanding justification a little bit. Understanding glorification. Just giving you a quick uh, definition of those. Listen to what Jesus is saying. I have given them the glory you have given me. So, absolutely certain is our future glorification that Jesus is speaking of it as a thing that has already happened. He's saying this, there's nothing that we have to fear in our pursuit of oneness with people who, who are different from us, people who vote different from us, people who think different from us. There is absolutely nothing that we have fear because we have been promised glorification. Jesus speaks as if it has already happened. I have given them the glory you have given me. Listen, the bestowment of glorification is a future act, no doubt. Jesus is saying in his prayer, I have given it to you so that you can be strengthened now. I've given it to you so you can be strengthened now. You can, you can enjoy it now. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, says why would you fear someone who can, who can take your life? Don't fear him. Fear the one that, who can take your soul, who can keep you out of heaven. In other words, listen, don't, don't fear man. And we shouldn't because we've been promised glorification. There's nothing at all that can separate us from that. Oh, he goes on, he says, verse 22, I've given them the glory you have given me so that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Your message, my message, is to teach the world that God loves them just as He loves Jesus Christ. So, He equips us for success by giving us His glory, by giving us His presence. He never leaves us never forsakes us, but He also rewards us for our success. He equips us for our success, and He rewards us for our success in His will for our life. Our reward is eternity in heaven. Our reward is eternity in heaven. Look at verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am 
Listen to Jesus' desire. He longs for you to be with him. So that they will see my glory which you have given me because you have loved me before the world's foundation. Listen, Jesus wants to bring us home for show and tell. You remember show and tell in school? My favorite day of the year. I don't remember anything I ever took to school, but that was a favorite time, right? Taking whatever you had and you show it to the class and you tell them what it's all about. That's Jesus here. He's like, God, I I long to bring them home because I want to show them and I want to tell them about the glory that you gave me before the foundations of the world. Psalm 116, verse 15 is a verse that has always rattled my brain, but I want you to see it in light of what we have just read. Listen as the psalmist writes these words. He says this, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His faithful saints. How is that possible? That the death of one of God's faithful saints is precious in His sight. John 17 verse 24 tells it. I want to bring them home because I want to show them full glory that you gave me for the foundations of the world. Listen, he, that glorification, that perfect state, like Adam and Eve before the fall, he wants us to see that. He wants us to experience that. Jesus sees the, the sin that we're in. He sees the struggles that we're in. He's already said it in John chapter 17. The world hated them. And I'm leaving them. He longs for us to be removed from this. But He has a purpose for us. He has a will for us. And He has equipped us to be successful in that will. And listen, He has rewarded us. And the last is this. He empowers us for success. He equips us. He rewards us. And he empowers us. Look at verse 25. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. Now listen to what he is, what he is leaving us in. A world that does not know Jesus Christ, who does not know God, who does not agree with the things of God. Jesus says, however, I've known you, and they have known that you sent me. And I made your name known to them, watch this, and will continue to make it known. Wait a minute, Jesus, how are you going to continue to make God's name known? You're about to be crucified. You're about to ascend into heaven. How is that possible, Jesus, that you are going to continue to make God's name known? Listen, it is through the power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in you and I that Jesus is going to continue to make God's name known. That's his will for us. That is the bottom line. We see that in his prayer. Jesus' prayer is for us to spread the good news that God's name, God's fame, God's glory may be known among a lost people. And how do we do that? By being one. That there be a oneness in spirit. Oh, I pray for us as a church. And I think there is a beautiful spirit within this church body but I never, ever take it for granted. Satan could take that away in a moment. May we never let that happen. May we continue to fight for there to be a oneness. Listen, as I said earlier, Jesus 
is praying for those who believe. I want you to know, if you don't believe, you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. I want you to know Jesus Christ is praying for you. Praying for you at this very moment to give your life to Christ. Will you say yes to him? Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.